Welcome back to Occasional Randomness. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me, as always, my fellow co-host, somebody who loves a good jetpack ride, Jason Johnson. I think I'm going to need a helmet. <laughs> and uh, if, if you get that reference, you're as old as I am. So there you go. Yeah, and much better special effects, but we'll cover that in a minute when we get there. Yep. I started watching that movie, actually, with uh, my youngest uh, pretty recently. He's been on an 80s and 90s movie kick, so uh, it's fresh. So. Yep, the classics. Yep, yeah, working on his classical education. Yeah. <laughs> we started with Masters of the Universe, if that tells you how it's going. So. <laughs> I don't think I ever saw that one. Actually, that's not true. We started with The Princess Bride, okay. and then I, then I slung him into Masters of the Universe, but... That'd be a whole other podcast. If you haven't seen that, we really should do that. Occasional randomness goes to the movies. I almost want to do that one with a live watch so I can hear your reinspection. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen clips and, you know, Dolph Lundgren and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's very Dolph Lundgren. It's Dolph Lundgren and it's Dolph Lundgren-ness. Better than The Punisher or not quite as good as The Punisher? Dolph Lundgren. Oh, I think it was better. It was, yeah. It was peak Dolph Lundgren. Okay. All right. Anyway, if, if you've been following the podcast along, you've uh, noticed we haven't done one in a little bit because uh, after the post-New Year vacation or pre-New Year vacations, we had post-New Year vacations and other real life stuff that always gets in the way of doing the fun things. We had to hang out in, in live real person stuff. So that was kind of fun things. This is true. Yeah, we did. You came up this way to go visit some relatives and stopped along the way and got to have a nice dinner and reconnect in person because it's been... Three years? Three years, since, yeah. since last time we saw each other in person. <laughs> and, and we didn't freeze to death in the, the frozen tundra of the north, so it wasn't too bad. Skipped most of the snow, so that was good. So while we get back into the swing of things here and plan what we're going to do besides Farscape, this time we'll just do the one continuing journey through Farscape episode here. So this time up, it's Season 3, Episode 20, Into the Lion's Den, Part 1, colon lambs to the slaughter and our usual reminder and uh, public service announcement if you like what we do here please give us a like or review wherever you listen to this at or better yet help spread the word and let people know all about us we'd appreciate it all right so this is the even number episodes i believe that means it's up to you excellent well let's jump into farscape season three episode 20 into the lion's den Part one, colon, lambs to the slaughter. Has to get the punctuation in there. So you need that. And that's all the time. No, uh, <laughs> that's all the time we have for this week. So we open up inside Crichton's mind in black and white, not color, as he and Harvey are in a World War II truck in full soldier gear. Harvey informs John that if Scorpius finds out that he intends to sabotage wormhole technology, he will kill him. Apparently, Harvey no longer wants to die, but to survive. Aaron snaps Crichton out of it, revealing that they're now in a transport pod. Aaron tells him that Rigel and Dargo have reported in from the command carrier. Crace asks why Jules' hair is red, and she mentions it's because she's anxious. She doesn't know why she came, wishes she and Chena had skipped out before. So John says to turn the pod around and let her go. However, Aaron says that Moya is over four arms away, hiding with Talon, who's now fully shut down at the rendezvous point. Yeah, I think at this point you can't pull the. Uh, I'll turn this car around. Yeah, it doesn't. I'll work. pull. I'll pull over right here. No, uh, you can get out right here in space. They did that in the first season, right? Uh, at the end, yeah, they jumped out of the well, exploding ship at the end of the first season one, but it's a different reason. 
So the, the group lands on the carrier where Scorpius's crew stands by to greet them. Scorpius welcomes them and John gets Aaron to test the eye inch bracelet by hurting his thumb. Remember that from last episode. It works as Scorpius feels the pain too. Dargo tells Aaron that they have been treated fine so far. And Scorpius announces that he is granting John and his companions full diplomatic rights, immunities, and courtesies while aboard the ship. He approaches John and says that at last, the rift between them is finally bridged. Scorpius asks what convinced John to help him, and John says that it's, it's time he did something for the rest of Moya's crew. He tells Scorpius not to screw with them and to give them what they want. Scorpius agrees, and Crace interjects to mention one more thing. They want to bring Talon aboard for a full cognitive replacement. Scorpius says that wasn't part of the original agreement, and Bracca says it's too risky to bring a gunship aboard. Cray says that Talon's weapons were shut down, and despite Bracca's objections, John says it's not for Crace and adds it to his list of demands, so Scorpius agrees. Crace requests project schematics so that he can isolate Talon's design flaws, and also requests that Lieutenant Laurel join him as Leviathan Specialist, since she is the best qualified. Bracca leads him away, and Scorpius invites John to join his friends for refreshments in the officer's lounge. He declines as he came here to work, prompting Scorpius to ask whether that's for or against him. In the officer's lounge, peacekeepers are complaining about having to welcome criminals, but everyone is silenced when Chiana, Jewel, Aaron, Rigel, and Dargo enter. As Aaron walks over to get a drink, someone mutters, traitor. As Bracca leads Crace to his temporary quarters, he says that there's hostility among the crew as they feel he betrayed them by abusing his command, and he feels the same way. As they walk, more mutters of traitor are heard. Scorpius and John join Strappa in the experiment room. They've prepared a small, limited workstation for John, which he destroys saying that he won't eat at the kitty table. Give him the big toys or send him home. Bracca and Crace arrive at the quarters, and Bracca tells him not to bother searching for surveillance. He's not that important. Crace said that he predicted Bracca's rise in this organization, and he stands by it. He calls Bracca a consummate peacekeeper, which seems to anger Bracca, so he leaves. Jules says that it's too weird being here, and says to Aaron that growing up here must have been awful. Aaron, however, has some good memories of growing up on the carrier and tells Jewel that it wasn't awful. Chiano asks one of the peacekeepers if there's room for another at the table, but he says no. She flirts with him a little, but he's having none of it. And Dargo tells Chiano that it's time to move on, and the peacekeeper calls her a Nabari Trok, and Dargo a Luxon who took a Sebastian wife and murdered her. Aaron stops Dargo from retaliating, reminding him that that's not why they're here. Bracca calls in and calls the peacekeeper Lieutenant Relgic, who says that they were just getting to know each other. Rigel gets the intelligence reports on the Hynarian political situation, and Bracca tells Dargo that he can have his surgery any time now, and they're working on the other thing he wanted. Hinta, one of Aaron's old friends, approaches her and says that she heard Aaron was here, but didn't believe it. Aaron offers her a drink, but she says, responds that she only drinks with peacekeepers and throws it in her face, much to the amusement of the others in the room. So, so much her old friends. Unless that's how peacekeepers usually drink with each other. Yeah. So like, but, so like a greeting, like, hi, how you doing? <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a soggy way to live. Strappa is explaining things to John, and he mentions liquefaction. John says that Linfer explained it, prompting Scorpius to ask what else she said. John says that she died and asked to see some of her equations. When they hesitate, he says to open the bag or call him a cab. He can't do it blind, so they reluctantly agree. Switching back to the crew, uh, Dargo is undergoing surgery to remove the restraint rings from his body. Aaron tells John that it's safe to talk here as the mist in the room interferes with surveillance. 
John asks how she is. She says she, was, she wishes she was elsewhere, but asks if he's decided on a plan. Crichton admits he came aboard with three options available to him. Erase their data, send the research in the wrong direction, or abandon the plan and run like hell. Unfortunately, Crichton doesn't know how to erase the data and can't divert the research since he doesn't understand wormhole technology himself. That leaves the idea of making a run for it, although Crichton isn't seriously considering it if he warns her not to get too comfortable. Three peacekeepers, including Relgic, are drinking in the lounge, where Relgic says he could never stand Luxon's and he has a plan to give him a scare. Jewel and Dargo are in the Misty Room, where she tells him that she doesn't trust Scorpius and asks if this will be where they die. One of the peacekeepers enters the room with a metal casing on his arm, with a rotating blade at the end. A battle ensues, with both Dargo and Jewel getting involved. Dargo attempts the man from, to stop from falling off a platform, but the man lets go and falls to his death. Relgic enters the room with troops, telling Dargo and Jewel not to move. It's a trap. In his room, Scorpius chews out Relgic, informing him that if any guests are harmed, not only will the assailant be executed, but so will he, and sends him away. John asks if anyone can think of a reason to stay, prompting a hasty apology from Scorpius, with assurances that they won't happen again. Dargo agrees, saying that he's heading back to Moya. Scorpius deems that unacceptable, but John says that the less of them aboard, the less chance of anyone getting to them. Bracca suggests that that will reduce their incentive to keep promises, causing Dargo to remind Bracca of his other promise. And Scorpius orders Bracca to hand over the file on Macton Tall, who was Dargo's wife's brother and the killer. Dargo thanks them and leaves. Crace is in his quarters when Lieutenant Laryl comes to join him. He asks if she has a problem working with someone who lost command, and she says no. Scorpius stole his command from him. She adds that even though he left without a word, her feelings for him didn't change, and they kiss. She says that Scorpius knows of their past as she was put in the Aurora chair, and he realizes that, as he suspected, everyone he knew had been coerced into spying on him. They both say they don't hate one another and kiss again. John is introduced to a new theory, to stabilize a wormhole before re-entry. Strapa talks to John about it when Scorpius asks why no progress has been made. He wants to move faster and suggests that perhaps, subconsciously, he's holding back. John suggests that he's cool with the idea that Scorpius only wants wormholes to go after Scarens, if it's true, which Scorpius says it is, and he can prove it, with excerpts from his personal file before he was a peacekeeper. John asks Harvey if the Scarens are the threat that Scorpius claims, and Harvey says that he can speak objectively since he's lacking Scorpius's passion, but he concurs. The Scarens pose a threat to all races. He says that Scorpius has shown his biography to very few people, and John finds that interesting since he's been lying to his face. Harvey adds that he managed to normalize John's energy signature so that he can't detect John lying. Crace and Lieutenant Laryl go to see Talon, who's been brought aboard. Crace boards him while Bracca asks Laryl if, she believed her, if he believed her confession. She seems to think so, since he trusts her fully. It's a trap. This whole episode. <laughs> John and Aaron are on a planetary terrain reconstruction area. Say that three times fast. Where combat training takes place. John asks Aaron if the Scarens are the real enemy, but Aaron can only say that it's what they were taught. John asks if wormholes are the only way to stop them, but Aaron suggests it's not his problem. He should focus on why he's here. John says his work is taking a while, so maybe she should return to Moya. Rigel's back on Moya with Jewel, Chiana, and Dargo, and is pleased by the intelligence reports. Chiana has a sudden vision of Pilot screaming when Pilot detects peacekeepers approaching. They attempt to starburst, but are shot midway through, and Pilot screams in agony. It's a trap. 
Christ and Lyrell are on Talon, where she asks what it was like to receive a neural interface. She asks why he would give it up, but Christ says Talon would not take orders. She says that neither would he, to which he replies that's why he is no longer a captain. She asks if he regrets leaving the peacekeepers, and he says, sometimes. But what he regrets most is not trying to take her. She answers that she wouldn't have gone, not then. Aaron goes to see Hinta and tell her that she was forced to leave by Kreis. Hinta reminds her that Aaron could have come back when Kreis went renegade, but Aaron says it was too late then. She didn't want to come back, to which her friend calls her a traitor. But Aaron retorts with deserter. Before Aaron can say more, an alert comes in regarding a captured Leviathan. Strapper tells John about Linfer, and John says he liked her. He finds something wrong with the equations, but before he can do anything, Aaron comes in telling John that they've captured Moya. Relgic asks what's going on and starts to recite Scorpius' orders when a female interrupts him, flatters him a little, and asks that he look over the prisoners for her. Meanwhile, John and Aaron are met by peacekeepers, but knock them out and take their guns. Scorpius asks the woman what she's done, mentioning that Gramic Project is under his authority. She reminds him that his authority is not absolute and introduces Cor Tosco, the special Luxon ambassador. He tells Scorpius that the Luxons signed a defense agreement with the peacekeepers, and he was sent to promote other such agreements. The trouble is, half the planets he visits fear the peacekeepers, and the woman says that the other half laugh at them for their inability to capture a handful of escaped prisoners whose exploits are becoming legendary. They care about their opinions because they are uniting as much of the uncharted territories as possible to improve their bargaining position with the Scarens. Scorpions can't believe that they are willing to negotiate, to which he, she says a truce is being explored. Scorpius says that may be construed as a sign of weakness, but the Luxon suggests that it's what alliances are for, angering Scorpius. Meanwhile, John and Aaron are met by Bracca, who stops them to, and tells them that Scorpius didn't capture Moya. The woman says now is not the time to provoke the Scarens, and this project imperils a truce. Scorpius says that he knows the Scarens, and the idea is suicide. John storms in, sticking his gun in Scorpius' face, telling him to let them go or they will kill him. Scorpius says that Moya and his friends are unharmed, and the woman interjects, saying they cannot see them as she has taken them into custody. John asks who she is, and she introduces herself as Commandant Melee on Greza, and says that he must be Crichton. John says that when his friends are threatened, he's infamous for making stupid moves. She agrees, but can't accept Scorpius' deal, and tells Scorpius he's lost control. Scorpius calms the ship, telling his crew to release Moya and her crew at once. He then tells Bracca to have security take Greza to her vessel and escort them out of this sector. She says they'll do it his way, but she'll return with a full council sanction. He shouldn't have made it her an enemy, and John shouldn't have pointed a weapon at her. Greza leaves, telling Relgic to release the prisoner. He asks if she's sure, prompting her to grab him and say he was ordered as she stuffed something down into his collar. John calms Pilate and reassures him that it will not happen again, and he will hold Scorpius to his word. Scorpius explains to John that this is the stupidity he has to deal with, and says John mustn't fail. Relgic's device bleeps, it's a calm from Greza, who says that she intends to remove Scorpius from command. Relgic suggests that few people will argue with that, and she says that given the crew's low opinion of Scorpius, and the time it takes to go through channels, she's concerned about Scorpius' safety. Relgic says that Scorpius is well protected, but his bracelet makes him vulnerable. She says that she is then equally concerned for John's safety, and Relgic says he'll do his best. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more.
Rigel and Jewel are gambling with the peacekeepers as Aaron tries to reason with Hinta, saying that she kept some ideals from the peacekeepers, but to no avail. Darger tells Scorpius that he can't believe the Luxons made a pact with the peacekeepers. Scorpius says that they remain autonomous, but Dargo asks for how long. John tells Aaron in the Misty Room that his knowledge is becoming clearer, and he should now steer Scorpius in the wrong direction, but he's not 100% sure if it's the right thing to do. Aaron says that the other John gave his life to stop the Scarens from getting his information. But John says that it's his shift now. The other didn't get Scorpius' backstory or know what they know. John says that his next move isn't clear. Aaron tells him to get clear soon because he needs to make a decision. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Laryl tells Crace that he could come back to the Peacekeepers by giving Scorpius what he wants from John. John and Aaron are walking through a corridor when Aaron realizes that they're being followed. She leads John into the generator room, but the Peacekeepers enter and a fight ensues. Scorpius is feeling John's pain and alerts Bracca of the assault. One Peacekeeper is killed by a reversed pulse blast, while John uses a jetpack to propel another into a generator, vaporizing him. John flies up with the jetpack, but is pursued by Reljic. Eventually, John manages to send him into a generator. However, he is left hanging from it, putting him in danger of being vaporized. Aaron is met on the ground by Bracca's men, who shut the generator down, with seconds to spare. John goes to Scorpius with a pulse pistol, just in case, and Scorpius tells him that time is running out. Grazo will return soon, and he must realize the situation was changed by her arrival. Their time is short. John says that he can't go faster, but Scorpius believes he's stalling. He had hoped John would see reason. John said that he's here wearing the bracelet. What more does he want? Scorpius brings up an image of Earth, saying that he wants cooperation. John, assuming the image was lifted from his memory, pulls the gun on Scorpius, but Scorpius stabs his own hand and John drops the gun. Scorpius hits John and tells him that the image is not a memory, but an actual recording of Earth. Scorpius remarks it took quite some effort to locate his planet and get visual confirmation. Even without wormholes, Earth is within reach. At top speed, it'd take just over 60 cycles. Scorpius says that either John gives him what he wants, or he swears that he will keep John alive long enough so that he can witness his homeworld's destruction. To be continued. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. A little trivia about this episode. Rebecca Riggs makes her first appearance as Commandant Graza. Riggs was a big fan of science fiction growing up and loved Blake 7. And I'll agree to that. I love Blake 7 also. Great British sci-fi TV show. Or was, one or I, was I guess, because it's been over for since like 80s. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> Should put that one on the list. Dave Elsie's original concept for Greza would have had her costumed more like Judy Dench's portrayal of Queen Elizabeth I in Shakespeare in Love. When Riggs was cast, the sleeker look was adopted instead. Also, the scene in which Moya's crew walks through the assembled soldiers on the command carrier's flight deck was a deliberate recreation by Ian Watson of the awards scene at the end of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Or just Star Wars. Right. <laughs> the scenes inside the ship's park were filmed at Sydney's Centennial Park. A strong morning mist gave rise to Claudia Back commenting about the surreal atmosphere. And Hinta's demotion is a direct result of Aaron Soon's contamination in Premiere. So, what'd you think of this first episode of the multi-parter? Well, I think we're on record uh, pretty much every time as a multi-parter that we comment that Farscape does multi-part episodes extremely well. And that continues with this one so far, so they're batting 1,000. This, this one's definitely a very good, very meaty episode. <laughs> 
Uh, I loved almost every part of it, and we'll get into the one little thing I didn't like here and later. And as always with most first parts of a f- multi-parter, everything's completely set up in this episode for the ending next time, assuming it's two parts, not three, which I think it's two. And, you know, it's packed, jam-packed full of stuff. You know, we get more backstory on Crace and Aaron's defections, like how that impacted themselves, plus the people that they grew up with and worked with on the, on this command carrier. I guess it's the same carrier that they both were on before, that Scorpius still go over. Uh, you know, we get uh, lots more information on what's going on in the larger universe outside the Uncharted Territories with the Peacekeepers, you know, making alliances with other races like Luxons. It's only one commented on, but it sounds like there's others. Maybe the Hynerians, I don't know. Maybe a truce with the Scarens, which is not on Scorpius' uh, agenda <laughs> by any means. So now we get some, con- you know, conflict with that. So all in all, yeah, I mean, I, I loved it. It's a great setup for hopefully a exciting conclusion next time. How about you? What do you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I wasn't sure to what to expect going in other than, you know, again, the track record of multi-parters seems it would hopefully hold up. I think they're doing a really good job of elevating the big bads. Uh, and we'll kind of get into uh, new characters as we go, but um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to, to not, you know, get somebody, who gives Scorpy some, some competition and it almost makes him an ally, right? Kind of like Crace became an ally from being the big bad of the, the first season or so. So that was interesting. But of course, you know, jumping to the end, you know, Scorpy threatened Earth right at the end. So maybe not much of an ally. It's, it's, you know, toss up. Yeah, he was a really um, not as Scorpy, Scorpius for most of this episode. He's like, this is the same person that we're used to dealing with? And yeah, at the end, okay, fine. Yep, there he is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I said, I was I was starting to kind of be like, yeah, okay, maybe he's going to gonna play nice and, you know, enemy of my enemy and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, no, no, here, I'm, I'm going to threaten your planet now. Yeah, yeah everything's all kumbaya and, and peace and love until you don't give it what you want. And then it's like, okay, let's try it my way now. Right. I also didn't think I realized that we were in the same carrier yeah so maybe uh that's that's kind of an interesting sentimental piece of it right so <laughs> yeah i guess it makes sense right yeah. i mean i don't know how many command carriers there are um sounds like there's more than one but yeah i mean scorpius came over to deal with craze and then craze left so yeah i guess he just assumed the role there and off we go all right so yeah let's jump into some of this so yeah so right off the bat we open in John's head, which it's been a while, and uh, here's old buddy Harvey. We haven't seen that much lately, and uh, I guess he's on John's side, or at least the side of not dying, because you know he's the only one left. No more Scorpio two and John two. This is this is it, and I, I guess, which I forgot that he had this ability. He even helps out John later, saying that he's hiding the fact that John's lying to Scorpius, since I forgot that Scorpius. I think the one episode where we learn all about his backstory, he mentions that he can tell when people are lying by, I guess, their energy signatures or something like that. So nice, nice little callback to stuff that you might have forgotten about that he can do. Yeah, I'd forgotten that myself. But yeah, good old Harvey. It's nice to see he can join the, the right team here. And it seems like he now wants to survive, as he stated. So yeah, uh, maybe he'll become a permanent like hangout. Maybe this John won't get rid of him, right? Like Like other John. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm your buddy, I'm your friend, trust me. It's like, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> that, that can go a different way too, but we'll see. And uh, yeah, like, like the trivia mentioned, I did love the scene where they're walking, they, they come on the command carrier and they're walking past ranks and ranks of peacekeepers in different uniforms and whatever. And apparently from doing some 
Wikipedia is searching, I guess the command carrier or a command carrier can have up to 50,000 people on it. So I guess, you know, we were talking before about where's the budget for the rest of the season. I think here's where it all went for costuming and lots of extras and, and grabbing the crew to fill out the scene and the officers lines later when there's like a ton of people in there too. You mean they didn't just have like 10 people and CGI duplicate them over and over and over again like they do now? Just you know, <laughs> cut and paste, cut and paste. As we'll discuss here shortly, that was probably not an effects option back then. <laughs> so, do it the old-fashioned way. Or strategically, right? maybe they had like a couple dozen and they just kind of strategically move them around a bit, you know. Yeah, as the camera pans, everybody just kind of runs behind the, the curtain and comes out on the other side. Yeah. And uh, speaking of 50,000 people, as you might expect, not everybody's in line with Scorpius giving these uh, escaped criminals blanket diplomatic immunity since they've been hunting them for, what, at least three cycles or so, which we think is a bit about how long John's been around here. Kind of, you know, nice, believable scenes with them you know, in hallways or in the officer's lounge looking angrily or disgustingly at them or, you know, calling them traitors to their face or muttering that they're not so happy and not so nice seeing them here. So that was fun. And especially, yeah, with Aaron and Kreis, it makes it even worse because, as we said before, they were on this command carry before and grew up on it. Or at least Aaron did. I don't know if Kreis did, but it sounds like Aaron grew up on it as a child. That's where she was born, born probably. So, you know, she probably knows a ton of people on here and not so much friendly people anymore. Yeah, I mean, now knowing now that this is the same carrier, like you say, it... it, it makes it more personal right because it's the people they knew and grew up with uh so you get you know not only do you get the economy of characters by you know oh it's the same ones we get to use the same people but also the impact becomes more because of the way it impacts the characters yeah not the happy homecoming that you know which i'm sure they didn't expect it to be but yeah and then we uh find out what at least some of the crew are getting in exchange for John helping Scorpy. Rigel gets a bunch of intelligence reports on the Hynerian political situation. I'm only guessing because if this does pan out and he gets his freedom and gets to go back home, that he wants to become Dominar again. And why wouldn't you be, right? And then something that you've always seen, I guess, for the last three years, which you always wondered about, uh, Dargo gets those rings that are on his upper chest removed, I guess, that were used to help secure him in his cell as a prisoner, which Maeve saw a couple times over the three years. And apparently he's got some uh, more info on the whereabouts of the Luxon that killed his wife. Bonus for him. And I guess as a unexpected side benefit, Crace gets something uh, under a lot of protest. Uh, I guess this answers our question from last episode of how they're going to fix Talon or where they're going to fix Talon. And apparently right here. So he gets Talon to be brought on board to install his new personality. And of course has a side benefit of having one of his old lovers as an assistant, which, okay, I guess we'll see how that goes. But yeah, so at least that answers one of our questions from last time. Which definitely surprised me because I was really expecting, especially like when they kind of set it up, the, the episode started with them, you know, hiding Moya and Talon. I was expecting that to be like, you know, keeping them in reserve, but also, you know, Talon's their big gun, literally. So, you know, having him out there as a threat, you know, to, to, be the cavalry if they need them was a great thing to have in the back pocket. Right. But right off the bat, they reveal that not only is it, not only do you know where they are, but that he's not in commission, right? He's, he's shut down and they bring him on board. So it, it takes that piece off the, off the board for them to be able to uh, use his backup and his leverage. And, and then they, you know, later in the story, they actually 
send people back to Moya, therefore allowing them to track them and know where Moya is. So it, it really, the, the Moya and, and Pilot and Re, Moya, Moya and Talon and Reserve just kind of went off the table really quick. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, now they're at the, at the mercy of the Peacekeepers fully. They have no escape route. Yeah, that, that transport pod is not going to be great for the rest of the seasons. So. Yeah, probably not too long range. Yeah. <laughs> no starbursts, just, you know. Although if you ever watch the uh, British sci-fi comedy show Red Dwarf, they spend lots of seasons inside like a little transport pod or a bug that they call it. So I guess you can live in there for a while, but I don't think these pods have that much long range. So. As many interpersonal issues as this crew has, could you imagine an entire season inside of one this, uh, transport pod? Right. <laughs> Also, I guess we got Dargo's um, little attack ship as a maybe as a side thing, so that might give him something. But I guess I guess a command carrier of fifty thousand people, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of checking out command carrier, we get to explore a lot more of it this time since they're stuck on it. We get lots of scenes in lots of different places. We get we have like an officers' lounge. I guess probably one of many, like a healing or like a recovery room, and even the place. Not quite their version of a holodeck necessarily, but it's it's kind of, it's a place with like natural scenery, like trees, grass, like actual. I guess there was water. I think maybe I can't remember. But um, but yeah, I guess when your ship's almost a mile long, there's room for everything. Yeah, I I really enjoyed the use of space in this episode. Right, so a lot of times we you can kind of tell that they're jumping from one stage to another stage, or you know they're, they're constrained on the amount of space they have. And I felt like they did a really good job of not not having that feel. With the command carrier, it really felt like they had this expansive um, environment to play with. You know, here's a park, here's a generator room, here's a couple of different lounges and and healing rooms, like you mentioned, and all these different things. It, it really felt more expansive than we usually get, where it's just like, hey, you know, here's here's one bridge room, here's you know a, a personal room, here's the uh, med bay and pilot's room, and that's all you get, right? So it's, it was a really expansive ship, and they made it feel that way. Yeah, I guess they also kind of not overtly like hammer home the fact that, you know, they're stuck here on this gigantic ship with lots of people. And there's like, what, six of them, seven of them against 50,000. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, John's plan better work because they ain't getting out. If it doesn't work. No, especially as you find out that, you know, Scorpy's not on the best of terms with the crew, right? He's not a popular leader. So they're, they're depending a lot on his protection. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. They like, you know, Craig's got consumed or side not, not sidetracked but like craze got consumed with hunting down Crichton and then paid for it and got replaced with scorpius and now scorpius is obsessed with wormhole technology and i guess finding john and them too same thing so it's like oh, we're doing this again <laughs> so it's <laughs> like it's, it's going down a pattern here of you know you're, you're a little focused too much on this one thing and uh see so then we get a bunch of different scenes with the not-so-happy peacekeepers finally having enough of these guys and going against Scorpius's orders and trying to harm or maybe kill our crew, our heroes. So, you know, the first one, okay, you know, I got the peacekeeper with the arm harness with a buzzsaw. Okay, cute. Not practical, but it, hey, it's cool. You know, it's a buzzsaw on an arm. Hey, what's not to like, right? So the plan, I don't know what the plan was. I, I guess it seems like Relgic wanted, probably figured it wasn't going to work, but may just wanted like to frame them for killing some, you know, like he's, like he's the one peacekeeper or to somehow be able to get their diplomatic community revoked or at least put them in cells for a while or something like that. I don't know, but it was a fun, yeah. it's a fun little, little fight scene. And maybe, you know, by killing a peacekeeper, which 
he probably assumed would happen against the Luxon, right? Would get the crew in more trouble or, or further create a rift between the our crew and the, the crew of the ship, right? I mean, they're already having the, the name calling and everything mentioned, and maybe he can just get the whole thing escalated if he can, you know, if they start killing peacekeepers. Uh, I also kind of pictured that Buzzsaw guy is uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. I think that's who they should have stunt cast in that role, because <laughs> I feel like that's that's who was missing in that, you know, oh, yeah, and just kind of jump out with the Buzzsaw, you know. So... <laughs> You like that the hat and the sunglasses too. Like yeah, sunglasses. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He had the beard kind of going. So yeah, he's a r- r- rough little dude there. But yeah, it didn't didn't work out so well for him. He didn't cut it. Yeah. Although to Stargo's credit, he tried to save him, but oh well. Yeah, we seem to have a problem with people falling off of things with this crew. Ledges are bad. Yeah, I guess this is like an, another homage to the Empire from Star Wars. It's like you just have these giant things with no guardrails, like that overlook a, a nice drop. I don't know, but. Well, I was thinking back to Aaron's mother too, and her falling off the building. Right? I mean, it's just we seem to drop drop people off ledges, is what we do. So, yeah, apparently there's no, like occupational safety departments on any of these ships or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah. no accidents since zero days. You know, <laughs> like on... <laughs> they, they never even touched the sign. They yeah, it. it's, it's actually like painted zero. Like it's not even a flipper. Yeah, yeah it's, just... it's, it's not even LED or it's, it's just a it's just spray painted. Yeah. <laughs> and then I guess we get our, our big our big fight scenes set piece whatever you want to call it uh which i do as i said this is the only thing i have a problem with with the whole episode so we'll just get it out of the way now here <laughs> is that uh that fight in the generator room if they just stuck with them moving around through the blocks of generators and fighting each other and getting vaporized by the generators that would have been great and they're doing great they even had that really cool scene when the one peacekeeper shoots the pulse gun and the guy's like no don't do that and you know the bolt gets like halfway to John, stops, and like just flies back and hits her and, and, and blows her up. I'm like that was great. Okay, that's cool. Everything's wonderful until John and Relic pick up some jetpacks and quote unquote fly around the room <laughs> trying to fight each other. Uh, so I'm guessing that's the point where either the budget ran out or it was just too much of a scene to try to pull off with the technology or budget that they had at the time. Yeah, I was I was gonna chalk it up to the limited technology at the time, but then I decided maybe they just watched the Rocketeer and were inspired. But yeah, either way, I see your point. I I did feel you know I was less distracted by the jetpacks and the you know had issues with that as I did that I felt like it was rushed right like we were running out of runtime. It wasn't so much they ran out of budget. It's like we ran out of uh, time to deal with a scene, and so we just need some way to quickly fly to the end and uh, wrap up the combat, right? So if they'd stayed on the ground and had a longer engagement, it probably would have had more of a, a feel to it than we just kind of, boom, oh, no, so much for this this guy. He's, like, done, right? We we, we got rid of Relgic in, like, a few minutes. Yeah, because you had all the other good, good elements. You had the, you know, guns that they can't use, and, of course, there's just, like, metal pipes lying around they just pick up to hit each other with. Because, you know, that's how you, if, it's just pipes lying around the floor all the time, you know. <laughs> but, but, yeah, everything's great up until that point. And then, with all this other fun going on on the Command Care, we have our intro to Commandant Greza, which, you know, spoilers for a 20-some-year-old show. I didn't remember where she came into the, to the series at. Uh, I do remember her a lot from Season 4, where she's a main player. So, you know, spoilers for you and anybody else that hasn't seen past Season 3. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at least she's coming back next time, you know for sure, because she's hinted that she's coming back. 
But the, yeah, apparently she's more tied into Peacekeeper Command than Scorpius is, since you know she's probably been off doing that all this time while he's been off consumed with John and Wormhole stuff. You know, I guess she might be working on the treaty with the Scarens, getting uh, other races, you know, involved, allies, and all that kind of stuff, which Scorpius wants no part of whatsoever. And even cheeses her off by going against her orders and releasing Moya and the prisoners again. So that's going to set up a nice power struggle, uh, apparently, with him and Graza. And as John does when he gets. I guess flustered or whatever he he does stupid things he said and he, he managed to piss her off so I guess watch out John too. So I'm guessing this is going to lead to Scorpio getting kicked for, out of Peacekeeper. It's also kind of like uh, you know we've had with with Crace and uh, Aaron. So now we're going to have three ex Peacekeepers on the crew. Uh, he'll just you know get a bunk and you know hang out with Harvey. I guess I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll find out in future ups. Yeah, I'm sure the the crew would love to have another another guest on the on the on Moya. <laughs> Maybe he'll stick to Talon. I don't know. I get confused on the, the number of rooms on Talon, so maybe maybe there's room there. Yes, yeah, a lot less rooms because he's smaller. But yeah, keep keep over there. You know, all the Talon's you know pop up guns and stuff can watch him all the time. Assuming he still has them. Yeah, they they just disabled the the main gun, right? But they, well, I guess they turned the ones off inside because otherwise they'd have gotten shot last time. So. Well, they they specifically said that the goal of having him on board was to remove all weaponry. Yeah, good point. So at some point during this episode, or maybe not during this episode, but theoretically during the the process, he will become completely unarmed. So. Yeah, just back to a regular Leviathan. All right, but minus a pilot. Yeah. And I guess so much for the, uh, well, for him anyway. There, No one's really looking into doing more research into making Leviathan gunships. Now they're, I guess, focused on wormhole weapons, right? So that experiment has gone its, its route, I guess. So maybe they'll come up with a wormhole gun, kind of like the portal gun, and they'll put that on a Leviathan? Yeah. <laughs> portal 3. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and then we kind of get our main plot line that's interspersed throughout this episode. We got Scorpius, John, and our surviving wormhole scientist, Straka, having the little scenes together. And this is actually kind of interesting as it evolves through the episode, because John's getting more and more conflicted with what he what he wanted to do. Will he actually sabotage or divert the research, or is he going to actually help? And you know, as it goes further and further on in the episode, that seems to be where John's headed. Like he's buying into the Scarens being this big threat, which everyone says it is. So if everyone says it, it must be true. Plus, he's seen Scarens before, and you know, has not had a good encounter with them ever. Except for that one that was, you know, yeah, a good scare until we blew it up. Yeah, yeah. except for the the, the good scare and the, the nice happy scare that. Uh, can be all part of the crew, and he's oh, let me go over here for a little while. Oh, you blew up. <laughs> yeah, and now there's like this big alliance of other races and peacekeepers, maybe trying to at least look bigger and tougher so the Scarens will back down that way, so that then there won't be any need for wormhole weapons. So, up until obviously Scorpy threatening John, you're like, what's John gonna do? Is he gonna willingly help or not? And of course, now that you know, Scorpius became the person we all know and love at the end of the episode and is threatening to destroy earth now what's that going to do to john's decision making next time that that's why the earth thing surprised me somewhat because i was expecting john to get ready to legitimately work with the peacekeepers and i figured that was where it was going to kind of end was him actually making that decision to be helpful especially with the other lady and you know just just everything kind of culminating throughout this episode and then you know 
Scorpy uh, maybe even resulting in like I mentioned last earlier, Scorpy losing his command and you know having to cast his lot with the crew and all that kind of stuff. And then you know he turns around and flips over and threatens Earth, and it's like yeah okay you're not coming back from that. That's a that's a that's, that's probably the one bridge you couldn't have burned right. So yeah, I mean it, it might have been a better thematically way to do it. Yeah, having John be more conflicted and like actually wanting to help him, but then that's not a big cliffhanger ending. So you know you have to kind of throw this little cliffhanger in of like okay, now we're gonna like look I can see Earth and I'm gonna blow it up you know so okay you have to escalate the the tension for the cliffhanger. Unless you cliff hung it on him unlocking the wormhole tech and boom, now we've got wormholes. But yeah. Yeah, which we'll find out if that what's happened next time or not. We don't know. No. It is also also interesting that this is not the the multi parter that cliffhangs the season, right? We're we're still in season three as we turn the page. So uh, that's the other interesting part of this multi parter is that we didn't have to cliffhang the entire season on it. Yeah, I mean if if next one is the end of this and it's a two-parter, not a three-multi-parter, like a three-parter, then, yeah, after this next one, there's one more. So is that, like, the repercussions of what happens next time? Well, or, either or, way... Or is it set up something else, and then that becomes a two-parter-ish into the season four, you know? Right. Either way, we've not had a, a four-parter before, right? So theoretically, we could have all three parts and still not... Unless the third one's a cliffhanger, which that's really confusing, so... Yeah. <laughs> How many cliffhangers can we have? Well, at least two more, but yeah, probably just one. Or actually, this yeah. one, and that's it. So we'll see. I'm sure they have to have something to leave you with end of the season with, because that's how things were done back then. They want to get you that little hook to come back for the next season. True. So I guess we could have at least a couple more cliffhangers in our future. Yeah. Or building edge, no railing hangers, no <laughs> guardrails on anything. Totally open, narrow walkways into oblivion. <laughs> Yeah, you have to wonder, like, is that like an architect's dream of like, let's just build, this is what I want to do. Let's just build a giant thing that is like thousands of feet off the ground and have no supporting whatsoever. It's, <laughs> it, it's their way of protesting OSHA in media by, uh, you know, going extreme the other direction with no OSHA. I don't know. That, that was just off the fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it certainly doesn't violate any kind of a actor you know rules or unions or you know construction unions that kind of thing so yeah. <laughs> all right so that was a, a big meaty episode anything else we didn't talk about i think we talked about most of it but anything else that you might want to mention no i mean i think uh obviously we we like multi-parters this was another good one and uh we've got a lot of questions so it did its job right yeah they, they set up quite a lot of stuff so now we can see if they can bring it home so speaking of which, next time we will definitely be covering Farscape Season 3, Episode 21, Into the Lion's Den Part 2, colon, Wolf in Sheep's Clothing. So if you've been following along, you know we try to do our best guess as to what that means to prove us right or wrong next time, which we never go back and check, so it doesn't really matter. But but act like we do. Stick, stick, stick with us. Don't, don't, don't give away the secrets. <laughs> right. So I mean that's you know a, a famous saying, which a phrase which usually means like somebody who's dangerous and out to get you is masquerading as one of you or as a friend. So you know we already know Lieutenant Laurel is not really on Crace's side. So you're saying it's a trap. It's a trap. Yeah. Crichton is not necessarily on Scorpius's side, or at least maybe not after this, the last 
the, the episode he's not anymore, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we have, we have Aaron's friend Henta. So are they getting back together? Are they not? Is Henta going to get some kind of revenge? Who knows? So there's lots of potential double crossing happening or could happen. And you know, if you want to throw out there, is is Harvey really on John's side now that he's back there with the real Scorpius? Is this his chance to? I don't know, impress his, his uh, real self, so to speak. I don't know. So there's all kinds of ways you can go with this, with what they set up, and I can't wait to see what they do with it. So it should be an exciting, hopefully, conclusion to this episode, or this uh, storyline. Yeah, it'll be an interesting ride for sure. Uh, I guess if I had to cast my vote, I'm going to go with the, the con being Scorpy versus Graza, right? Because he could be playing her and, and the crew not really be as uh, against him as... They were led to believe so that you know he can surprise her where she thinks it. I don't know. I, I never trust Scorpy, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, he's got usually like plans within plans. So did he already foresee him being kicked out of Captain Hood here and he's got something in his back pocket, so to speak? Or did this one I guess he catch him off guard and he was totally surprised? We'll see. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, so that is your homework. And uh, if we do something else, then you'll you'll see it in the show notes and the title of the episode. If we decide to cover something else, like we, we keep threatening to watch Echo, the new Disney Plus show. So I'm sure we'll probably watch that one or two of them by next time. So, But check the show notes, see what's going on, and that's what we're doing. And with that, we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.